All right, well, hello, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. So great to be with you guys. Uh, I do want to take a minute and welcome in all of our campuses uh, that are tuning in. Also, anybody that may be watching online as well, welcome. Uh, in fact, can we do this? Can we put our hands together for our Valley Creek family at every location? So great to be together. And of course, this is, if this is your first time visiting Valley Creek, uh, we are so glad you're here and, and we hope that you're blessed by the service today. And so uh, I want to give a brief introduction since this is my first time uh, having the opportunity to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Mike Azardo and uh, married to my beautiful wife, Alicia. And we actually just celebrated our 14-year anniversary on Tuesday. So we're, uh, we're thankful for that. And uh, I tell everybody, I say, my wife is the greatest ministry tool that God has ever given me. Because whenever I introduce her, people look at her and they look at me. They look at her, they look back at me. And they're like, for a guy like him to get a girl like her, there has to be a God. And people just get saved and give their lives to the Lord. So I try to introduce her as much as I can. But uh, we have four kids, uh, ages 10 to 1. So pray for us when you think about it. Um, you know, it's funny. It didn't used to be that unique to have four kids. But I look around and a lot of people don't have four kids anymore. And I don't know why. I think it's maybe because people have gotten smart or something, but um, it's, a, it's a circus in our home, but we love it. Uh, we have three girls and a boy, and so I'm thankful that we snuck a, a son in under the wire there. I think the Lord knew that I, I couldn't be surrounded by so much estrogen for the rest of my life without at least a little support, and so I'm thankful for the reinforcements, but, um, but anyways, I also want to say a, a big thank you to Pastor John as well um, for the opportunity to be here. Valley Creek is my home church, and so just a special honor uh, to be able to be with you guys today. And so uh, we are in a series called Back Porch Conversations. And uh, Cordell opened it last week, did an incredible job. If you didn't have a chance to hear that, I encourage you to go back and, and watch that message. Um, but the whole premise of this series is just that on the back porch, it's kind of one of those places where people feel comfortable. And uh, a lot of times, you know, what they're really feeling, kind of the real talk will come out. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but when I've had some of these conversations lately, it's been apparent to me that people are often going through a lot of stuff in their lives, going through stuff that maybe they don't share until they maybe have the opportunity and feel comfortable. And so today, I want to take a few minutes to talk about the topic of peace. Uh, in fact, the title of our back porch conversation today is simply Keys to Peace. And if I were to ask you, you know, a simple question starting out, if I were to say, how many of you are walking in peace? I think most of us would just kind of reflexively say, oh yeah, I'm walking in peace, especially if we're a Christian, because we know that's probably the right answer. Um, but I wonder how many of us are walking in the kind of peace that the Bible describes as available to us. You know, one, one of the places it talks about peace is in Colossians 3.15. And the first verse, or the first sentence of this verse says this. It says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. And this word rule actually would probably be more accurately translated umpire or referee. What this verse is saying is there's literally a peace that's available to us in God that is so strong it can referee your heart at all times. So when circumstances and situations arise that try to dethrone peace, that God will bring us instruction or direction, conviction that if we follow it, we can keep peace enthroned on our life in a continual basis. You know, I, <clears throat> when we think about that, I wonder we might ask ourselves, you know, how many of us have that kind of peace? Or if we're really honest, how often is it that maybe some of the simplest things that we face every day in life can dethrone peace from our heart? For example, things like driving, right? You guys ever been driving somewhere and you're really late 
Maybe you're on one of those, you know, two-lane Texas roads, and you're driving, you know, close to the speed limit, and, uh, and all of a sudden, you can see it a couple hundred yards away, here comes Grandma Drive So Slow, right? And her 85 Buick just pulls out right ahead of you, going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit, you know? And how many of you guys, you roll up on her, and your first thought is, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to practice patience. I am just so blessed right now, right? Or all of a sudden, peace is dethroned, right? And we're like, I've got to be able to find some way to get around. You know, grandma drives so slow. Have you ever been in a situation, you know, you're driving, somebody just cuts you off on the freeway? You know, and is your first thought, you know what? The Bible says the last shall be first and the first shall be last. You've just blessed me, really, you know. Are you thinking, you're lucky I'm redeemed because in my unredeemed days, I would have let you know, you know, you're number one in my book or whatever, you know. <laughs> You ever had something, maybe, you know, a friend comes up and says, hey, can I borrow this? And it's just one of those things that's important to you for some reason. You don't really want to let them borrow it, but you're thinking, you know, it's the right thing to do. And so you let them borrow it. Maybe they just don't take care of it, or maybe they break it, and they bring it back, and they just don't really seem concerned. They're like, oh, hey, sorry, man, you know, just broke. And for most of us, you know, we're not thinking, that's okay. It was the Lord's anyways, you know. (laughs) We're thinking, how about I break you, and we'll call it even. How does that sound, you know? I mean, sometimes, you know, it can be people talking about us at work. I mean, sometimes even something as small as a schedule conflict has been able to dethrone peace from our hearts. You know, sometimes when I think about people losing peace, it it reminds me of kind of a funny story I I had happen to me on an airplane. And I've traveled a lot in my life, so I've been on a lot of airplanes. And, and, uh, you know, airplanes are always an interesting social dynamic for me. Because it's kind of one of those things where you're taking a bunch of people that don't know anybody and then you're cramming them in close quarters for several hours, right? And so it's funny, it's kind of the same process every single time, is that people get on an airplane and they're all kind of in their own world, you know, minding their own business, and maybe somebody's got their earphones on, or you, know, you got the business guy typing on his computer, and every once in a while you get kind of a chatty Kathy that wants to make conversation, but usually it's just kind of everybody, you know, staying in their own world. But I've realized that there is one word that can change the entire social dynamic on an airplane. And that word, my friends, is turbulence. And I've watched that sometimes if the turbulence gets really bad, people start getting nervous, and so they kind of come out of their own world, and they want to relate with the people around them, but because they're nervous, they do it by saying really stupid, awkward things, okay? Like, literally, one time we're going through turbulence, I had a guy turn to me and be like, whoa, did you feel that? (laughs) I just want to look back at him and be like, no, I didn't feel anything. It must have just been your seat. I, I don't know, you know? I had another guy one time, he's like, kind of bumpy out there, must be turbulence. <laughs> I always just want to be a smart aleck and look back and be like, oh, thank you, because I thought we hit a plane. I'm so glad you clarified that, you know. <laughs> one, one time I heard somebody get saved during some turbulence, or at least it sounded like this poor lady in the back, I hear her cry, she's like, oh, Jesus, you know. And <laughs> the funny thing is, I started thinking to myself, I'm like, this would be such a great time for an altar call. You know, I mean, you could just get on the intercom and be like, many of you are thinking about what happens after you die anyways right now, so I thought it'd be a great opportunity to tell you about Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> I mean, just think about it. Planes are set up perfectly for an altar call. Have you ever, ever noticed this? It's just like, just step out of your seat and follow the emergency lights right to the altar, you know? <laughs> then I'm starting to think of all these analogies. I'm like, the, exit, the emergency lights only lead two places, to the exit or to the altar. The choice is yours, you know? <laughs> I've never had a chance to do that, but maybe one day. But, but anyways, when there's, when there's turbulence on an airplane, there's, there's one place that you absolutely do not want to be. You know where this is? The bathroom, right? And that is where the story begins. So 
So I'm in the bathroom, and we're going through some crazy turbulence. It's probably like top five turbulence I've ever experienced. And so I, you know, I'm trying to compose myself and come out of this bathroom. And so I open the door to the bathroom, and there's a flight attendant sitting in the back row, and he's motioning for me to just take a seat in the back row uh, because he's not even going to let me go back to my seat until the plane calms down. And so I take one step out of the bathroom, and the bathroom door across from me pops open. This guy falls out on all fours, pants at his ankles, looking up at me, screaming, is this plane okay? Are we okay? And, and I don't know about you guys, but when you're not expecting it and a half-dressed guy falls on top, and that's traumatizing, you know? And, and the poor flight attendant is standing there, and he's looking at me and looking at this guy, and he looks at me and looks back at this guy, and he goes, sir, put your pants on, you know, to this guy. I'm like... This guy haunted my dreams for an extended period of time. But, <laughs> but the point that I'm making is this, is that for most of us, if we were honest with ourselves, our level of peace is much more like a yo-yo going up and down based on the circumstances that we're facing in the moment than a peace that is ruling in our hearts at all times. And, and I just think that you know the Lord has greater peace available for us because if we're having a tough time with some of the small things, what are we going to do when the big tests of life come? You know, like God forbid we have some financial turmoil or the loss of a job or maybe a personal tragedy or we lose a loved one in our life. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, come on, Mike, nobody can have peace in those kind of circumstances. Well, listen, undoubtedly there would be grief, there'd be great emotion, those things are healthy and normal. But my Bible also says that there's a peace that is available to us that transcends all understanding no matter what we're going through, it can be present. You know, maybe you've even experienced this or seen someone that's going through something and watched God's peace just capture them in a moment where it doesn't make sense. You know, maybe one of the most incredible examples of this I've ever heard of is a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford, and some of you may have heard of him. He was a very successful businessman in the, in the late 1800s, and, and his family went through a really tough series of years. Um, he had four daughters and a son, and in 1870, his only son died of scarlet fever. In 1871, the, the famous Chicago fire wiped out almost the entirety of his real estate holdings. And so by 1873, he and his family had just been through a lot, and, and they decided they were just going to get away. And, and so they decided to take a vacation to Europe, and they were actually going to help D.L. Moody with some of his crusades he was having at the time. And uh, so at the last second, some business dealings detained Horatio back in Chicago. So he sent his wife and, and four daughters on a boat ahead of him to England. And that boat never made it, and uh, many people lost their lives, and he received a telegram from his wife several weeks, weeks later, just had two words. It said, saved alone. And he realized that his, his four daughters had passed in that accident. And so immediately he got on a boat and went to go be with his wife, and, and when this boat had gotten to where the old boat had gone down just, just days before, they stopped for a minute and allowed people to come out, there are many relatives on this uh, boat going over to be with their family, and they allowed them to come out and just have a moment. And history tells us that Horatio went straight from that moment back into his cabin and wrote the hymn we still know today as, It is well, it is well with my soul. That contains the words, No pain shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper peace to my soul. And what I hope you glean from today is simply this, that God really does have a peace that is available to us that, that is independent of our circumstances and can rule in our hearts at all times. And listen, I, I know we're human beings. I know we're never gonna walk in perfect peace on all occasions, but, but I hope that maybe as a result of what we talk about today, we can at least take a step 
into walking in more of God's peace on a regular basis. And so let me just give you a few keys that that I hope will help with that today. And the first key is simply this. Uh, God is the source of all peace. God is the source of all peace. And and this might sound self-explanatory, but most of us live in such a way as if we really believe that peace comes from our circumstances. Because if I were to ask you, what is it that's stealing peace in your life? For many of us, we would say, well, it's my job. Or my finances, or if, you know, if my husband would just get his act together, you know, I'd have a lot more peace in my life. But the Bible's very clear that peace doesn't come from our circumstances, it comes from God. See, when you look at the vernacular of the Bible when it talks about peace, it says this in Galatians 5.22, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So here it says that peace is a fruit of God's Spirit, not a fruit of our circumstances. It says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we alluded to this verse earlier, But it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, whose peace is it? It says it's the peace of God, right? It's got nothing to do with the size of your TV set or what kind of car you drive or what problem you do or don't have. Listen, if we think about it logically, I think it just stands to reason that you can't give something you don't have, right? I mean, I don't know your financial situation, but for most of us, if someone asked us for a billion dollars, we can't give it to them because we don't possess it. Okay, in the same way, since circumstances don't possess peace, why would we expect that they could give it to us? You see, think about it. Is there any car that you know of that you can buy that actually carries with it some repository of peace that as soon as you buy that car, it can magically bestow it upon your life? See, no circumstance can do that, right? You know, maybe just to give an analogy, um, let's just say you wanted an apple picked fresh off the tree. And and, uh, if you wanted that, uh, how many of you guys would go looking on a pine tree for that apple? See, it sounds foolish because... Pine trees are not the source of apples, so they don't have any power to produce them, right? You have to go to an apple tree because that's the source of apples. Listen, then in the same way, if we want peace, why would we go looking to our circumstances? Because they're not the source of it, so they don't have the power to produce it. See, if we want peace, we have to go to the Lord who's the source of where peace can be found, right? You know, sometimes when I talk to people that are so convinced that some magical arrangement of their circumstances will bring them lasting peace in life, I've told him, I said, okay, if you believe that, go find someone that has everything you think you want and see if it's working for them. You know, go find that actor or movie star or whatever that has all the the resources and fame and things that you think will make you happy and see if they're walking in perfect peace as a result. I think most of us have actually seen sometimes the opposite is true. In fact, we have an answer to that question even in the Bible. You know, Solomon talks about this. And a lot of us, we know that Solomon was the wisest person to ever live. But what some of you may not know is that most historians actually believe that Solomon was the wealthiest person to ever live as well. And in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 10 and 11, he says this. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I had surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve... Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained under the sun. The ramifications of this verse should really be staggering to us. Because here's what he's saying. Everything I could ever conceive of wanting, I got. Yet at the end of the day, it was a meaningless, a chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained under the sun. 
See, can I tell you something? Here's, here's why we get so confused. You know what it is? Peace can't offer us, or circumstances can't offer us peace. You know what they offer us? The hope of future peace. Maybe more accurately, the deception of future peace. See, we crave the circumstances because we believe that they're gonna give us peace. But all of us have probably been alive long enough to you know, take hold of something we really wanted and realize that we still have problems today and it didn't bring us lasting peace, right? You know, maybe one last analogy that I think drives this home from the scripture. It's in Jeremiah 17, seven and eight. And it says this, it says, blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they go right on producing delicious fruit. I love this because we all know that a tree is completely subject to its environment, its circumstances. If the weather's good, if there's lots of rain, that tree's gonna thrive. If a drought comes, that tree's gonna suffer. But he draws this analogy, he said, listen, when you choose to trust in the Lord, you become like a tree planted by a riverbank with a river that we know, the Holy Spirit never runs dry, right? And what happens is you allow your roots to go deep into the river. See, the difference now is that tree, does it care whether it rains or not? Does it matter what the circumstances are? It doesn't matter because that tree has a totally independent source that is sustaining it. So it no longer has to worry and is no longer susceptible to its circumstances. And what this verse is saying is when we choose to look to God for peace and trust in him in the same way, we become supplied by a totally separate source independent of what may or may not be going on in our life. Look, peace comes from God and not our circumstances, right? The second one is simply this, is that God is mighty enough to handle the big problems, but cares enough to handle the small ones. And I think it's important to realize this because sometimes we go through situations and it steals our peace because we almost feel like, you know, what we're going through is too big for God. Or other times we lose peace because we're going through something that is important to us, but maybe we think, oh, this is probably so small to God. He probably doesn't care about this. And so we feel like we have to carry the weight of it ourselves and we lose peace. But the truth is neither one of those things are true. And you take the first half of that about God being big enough to handle any problem we go through and there's so many scriptures and things that speak to this, but several years ago I was reading a book that, that just spoke so much to me about the power and enormity of God, and it was talking about the expanse of our universe. And uh, it was saying how, you know, of course when we measure our universe, it's so vast that you can't measure it in miles like we do on Earth. You have to measure the universe in what they call light years. And a light year is the distance that light can travel in one year's time. And so I don't know if you know this or not, but, but light actually travels at 186,282 miles per second, or 670 million miles an hour, okay? So just to give you a frame of reference, uh, if you wanted to, to take a plane to the closest star to Earth, which is the sun, uh, I don't recommend that, but, but if you did, um, and you were on a plane that was going 500 miles an hour, never needed to stop to refuel, uh, it would take you t- over 22 years to get to the sun. Okay, but light can travel that distance in eight minutes and 20 seconds. Now, the the next closest star to the Earth uh, is 4.3 light years away, okay? Now, the sun is 93 million miles, it would take you 22 years. If you wanted to go to the next closest star that's 4.3 light years away and you got on that same plane, it would take you 51 billion years to get to the second closest star. 
Okay, but that's just four light years. Many of the stars that you see every night are 4,000 light years away. Okay, just, just try to think about that, that light has been traveling at 670 million miles an hour for 4,000 years and is just now getting here. Do you know that sometimes you see light from stars that don't even exist anymore? They gave off light for thousands of years and that light is still traveling through the universe and even though that star has imploded a long time ago, the light is just now getting here and you're seeing it. Those are just stars in our galaxies. In our galaxy, scientists estimate that there are billions of galaxies, each with billions of stars. In fact, I saw not long ago, they said that the furthest object ever seen by the human eye is 13.4 billion light years away. And I thought, if it would take you 51 billion years on a plane to go four light years, how far is 13.4 billion light years? Now, how many of you are starting to blink and twitch uncontrollably? You're just like, yeah, it's, it's too early, right? Okay. Here's my point. Isaiah 40:12 says that God measures the sky between his thumb and his little finger. Psalm 147:4 says he counts the number of the stars and calls them all by name. Listen, you say, Mike, you don't understand. I've got bills to pay. I think he can handle it. And sometimes we've got to realize how big of a God we actually serve. But the truth is, even though he's so big, he cares enough to handle even the smallest things that are going on in our life. You know, I don't know what it is, I don't know subconsciously, but sometimes I think we get this view of God that he's like too busy to deal with the small needs in our life. Listen, it's not like God is up there at some big desk, you know, CEO of the universe. And, you know, he's just so busy, got papers scattered everywhere and, you know, unanswered prayer requests on sticky notes around his computer screen, you know. Hadn't had time to get to him, and he's just thinking, man, I can't handle any more small problems, just the big ones. Listen, the Bible paints an exact opposite picture of God. In fact, in just the book of the Psalms alone, there's so many analogies of his intricate care about the details of our life. You know, it's there that we find that he literally knit you together in your mother's womb. Some translations say he wove you together. It says that the thoughts that he thinks about you outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. Just think about that. You know, Psalm 56 says he catches every tear you cry in a bottle and records every one because what matters to you matters to him so much. I mean, even the insignificant details, you know, Luke 12 tells us that the hairs on our head are numbered by God. Granted, some of us make that a lot easier on God than others, but <laughs> he just looks at me and says, four, all right, next, you know, move on. But the point is this, is that he cares even about the smallest things you're going through. Listen, think about it. You, you that are parents, do we only care about the big needs of our kids? I mean, when they come to you and say, hey, mom, dad, I'm hungry, do you look back at them and be like, well, are you big hungry? Because we don't do snacks around here, so come back when you're showing signs of starvation and we'll talk, you know. <laughs> we don't do that. We want to, but we don't, you know. In actuality, what we do is we buy snacks in advance, anticipating that they may have a small need in the future so that when they do, we can meet it. And I remember one time, my, my wife and I were putting away some winter clothes for our first daughter, and, and uh, we were just having this conversation, and we were saying, you know, it's so amazing that there is a season coming that she doesn't even know is coming, and we're making preparations in advance so that when it gets here, she'll have everything she needs. And we were saying is, if we as imperfect parents do that, how much more is God preparing for even the smallest details of your future, even the things that you don't even know you're going to need now? 
Listen, he cares about the small things. Psalm 37, 23, I love this verse. It says, the steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. Listen to this. He delights in every detail of their lives. Listen, you can bring God anything. In fact, I think he loves it when we bring him the small things because it proves that we believe that he loves and cares about us enough that we bring it to him. I think that he loves that and God honors his heart. So he's big enough to handle the big things. He cares enough to handle the small things. And the last one is simply this. We also need to allow God's peace to referee your heart. And here's why. We, we can know that God's the source of all peace. We can know that he's big enough to handle our problem. We can know that he cares enough to handle our problem. But at the end of the day, if when peace blows the whistle on some action or activity of our life and we don't obey, we're not going to walk in peace. And peace is still going to be dethroned from our hearts. You know, I think in a, in a sporting event, for example, when the referee blows the whistle, everybody falls in line, they follow the referee's instructions, and so the game continues in an orderly fashion. The problem with us is too often when peace blows the whistle, we just persist in our own way and cause it to be dethroned from our hearts. You know, Isaiah 48, 18 says this, it says, if you had only paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. And I want to touch on something for a minute because like I said, you know, there's lots of everyday things in life that maybe we fail at or, you know, cause us to lose peace. But for most of us, we have a few areas of our life, maybe one or two or maybe more, where we consistently lose peace. We consistently resist the Lord's instructions and, and press on, on our own and it brings stress and turmoil in our life. And when you find those areas, almost always behind that is something that simply has become too important to us for one reason or another. And so when peace blows the whistle, we're not willing to yield to the Holy Spirit and respond the way that he's instructing us. There'll be a lot of reasons for that. You know, maybe just something that's become too important to us. You know, maybe a hobby that we've allowed to just, you know, raise to a level of importance that's, that's maybe too much. Could be a wound that happened in our life and it's a defense mechanism. You know, I know when I was younger, I dealt with such intense insecurity that for much of my adolescence, my fear of rejection or a motivation for acceptance determined my choices at the expense of what God was telling me. Maybe it's an agreement. You know, sometimes we go through life and we go through things and we make these, have these moments where we make an agreement in our heart and maybe we don't even know it. Maybe you were poor as a kid and at some point you got so sick of how you, you were feeling, you made a decision and said, no matter what in the future, my kids will never experience this. Because we've never dealt with that. We have fear that's surrounded, you know, any decision with our finances motivated more by fear rather than by trusting God and peace. See, here's the problem when we have things like that in our life. When we have something, we say, I must have this or I can't do without that. Our lives were created to have only Jesus in the center. But when we have something rise to that level of importance, it's like we pull that thing in right in the center of our life with Jesus and say, now I don't just need Jesus to be happy, I need Jesus and this thing. See, we do that because we think it's necessary for peace. That's why we make it a central part of our life. What we don't realize is that we've actually, every time we do that, we make our peace harder to come by. Because see, we just learned that peace is available to us through Jesus independent of our circumstances. But every time we pull something in the middle of our life and make it a need, we've actually set up a new condition for peace that didn't exist before. It makes our peace more elusive. See, now we don't just need Jesus, we need Jesus and this. And for some of us, it's and this, and this, and this, and this, right? And that's why so many of us don't walk in peace because we need it practically a solar eclipse of our circumstances before we're gonna allow ourselves to enter into the peace that's available to us. And at some point, 
we've got to make a decision to take these things off the throne because what we do, every time we erect these things in our heart, we take this peace that was freely available to us and we make it subservient to these new masters that we've erected. And the problem is these masters will enslave us and steal our peace from us until we push them out back to where they belong. You know, I, I think sometimes, you know, in our house when we have situations like this arise in our life or, you know, we talk about it, we've actually called them trump cards. Because I've realized when we allow something to raise to an unhealthy level of importance, it, it's like giving the enemy a trump card in our life. And, and a trump card is one of those things, you know, when you're playing a card game, you throw it down, it just kind of takes everything. And what happens to the, to the enemy is when he knows there's those areas in our life, all he has to do is come in and say, boom, he'll throw it down and go, hey, what if this happens? You think you want to trust God with that area of your life? Well, what if this is the result? And because it's an idol in our life, instead of running to peace and following its instructions, we run to our own wisdom and we start trying to figure out what to do to insulate ourselves from certain situations or outcomes, which of course is sin and leads to terrible results in our life. And it becomes a cyclical pattern of stress and messing up and feeling bad and going through this until we remove those things. You say, Mike, if I got a, a trump card, you know, what, what do I do? How do I do that? Well, you know, I've heard a lot of people say different ways that they deal with it. You know, I've heard one person say something like this. They go, well, I just tell the devil, you know, that'll never happen to me, devil. And I mean, to, you know, unless I have a specific promise from God, that, that always just rings a little bit hollow to me. Because the truth is that, you know, sometimes we live in a fallen world and sometimes things we don't like really do happen in our life. See, I realize that if we want to walk in peace, it's not enough just to say, God, I trust you for the outcome that I want to come to pass. At some point, we've got to transition to where we just say, God, I trust you regardless of the outcome. And when we do that, we, we take that power away from the enemy. It's kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember this story from the Old Testament where these guys are, are standing strong for their, their belief in God and, and Nebuchadnezzar is threatening to throw them in the fiery furnace. And I think we could learn so much from their response. They, they look at Nebuchadnezzar and they say, you throw us in that fiery furnace, our God is gonna save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow down to you. And I love that because they have this great balance of they're so confident in God's goodness, right? They're like, you throw us in that fiery furnace, our God's gonna save us. But yet their trust is so deep, it transcends even the circumstances to where they can say, but even if he doesn't, yeah. we're still not gonna bow down. Yeah. And, and here's what I want you to see is that I really believe that the power to, to remove that trump card from having its power in your life is found in the even if he doesn't part. Yes. Because you see, when we can say that, then the enemy can't hold it over our head anymore. And some of you might be thinking to yourself, Mike, I, I wish I could do that, but if I'm honest, I'm just so afraid. I think about, well, what if this happens and what if that, and, and I know that I couldn't handle it. Well, let me insert something into that equation that you may not have considered. Oftentimes, when we look at something that maybe we don't want to see in our life, or we think, man, that would be so hard, we're looking at trying to live in that situation with today's grace. You see, we don't have grace for that situation because we're not there right now. And so we're trying to look at it and go, gosh, I could never do that. But what we don't take into consideration is that whatever situation we go through in life, God is gonna give us grace in that moment to overcome. And so we're never gonna know what it's like. Instead, we can be confident and go, man, that seems like it would be tough, or wow, you know, maybe I wouldn't like that. But even if I got there, God would give me a grace to overcome in that situation that I just can't see today. 
Because the truth is God loves us so much, he's gonna do one of two things. He's gonna continue to protect us and prevent some of the things that we don't wanna see happen. But even if parts of the fallen world touch our life, the God of all peace will grace us in a new way and he'll work all things together for good that we still win in the end. And so we don't need to allow. We don't need to allow the enemy to hold those trump cards over our head. Listen, I'll tell you this, you know, it might not be what we all want to hear, but sometimes the, the biggest, maybe the next step to peace in our life is not in grabbing a hold of some new thing we want, but it might be in letting go of something we've held too tightly. I'll leave you with one last verse. Luke 9, 24 says this. It says, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find true life. And this applies to our life as a whole, but it also applies to the individual areas. And it's a dual promise. It says, listen, if you hold your, this area back, you're gonna lose it, you're gonna mess it up. But if you trust it to me, I'm gonna lead you to life. We're gonna be able to walk in his peace. Can I tell you, if there's one area of this sermon I struggle the most with, it's this one. Man, I'm so bad, I'm so extreme at everything I do that I'm like, I get some area and at first I'm doing great and then I'm all of a sudden I've got this thing and it's too important to me and my wife is like, how many times are you gonna do this, you know? And I've done it enough times to realize every time I mess it up and it brings negative consequences in my life. But I've also trusted him enough times to realize that every time I do, he brings life and peace in that situation. And I just wanna encourage you today that he'll do the same for you. I know sometimes it seems so hard. There's areas that have gotten so precious to us. It seems so fearful to trust him, but God is a God of his word. And when we do, he will lead us to fullness of life and peace that can rule in our hearts. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I thank you so much for this incredible church, for its amazing people, for everyone that's hearing the sound of my voice right now. Holy Spirit, we just ask you, would you speak to us? In fact, maybe right there where you're sitting, just invite, say, Holy Spirit, will you speak to me today? God, would you show us what our next step is to growing in peace? Maybe it's, we've been looking to our circumstances and we need to kind of turn our eyes from that. It's okay to want stuff, but maybe we need to realize, God, really peace comes from you. Maybe we need to get a bigger picture of you in the midst of our problem or realize that you care about even the small things in our life. Or God, maybe we have some trump cards that you highlighted today. And Jesus, I ask, would you even right now give us a supernatural grace, a new grace, maybe that we haven't had before, to be able to trust those areas back to your control? Say, God, I've carried this long enough, and I'm so tired of the enemy using it like a trump card and bringing fear and anxiety over this area of my life. From now on, I'm going to trust it to you, and I'm going to say, God, I know you're so good, you're going to take care of it. But even if, for some reason, I struggle in some area over there, God, you're still going to come through. And Jesus, as we take whatever step that you've given us, God, I ask, would new levels of peace flood over our lives in ways that we have yet to experience? Maybe then we can say, God, I thank you so much. How did I ever live without your peace? God, would you do that for each one of us? We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.